Welcome back, guys, to Accelerated Real Estate Investor with Josh Cantwell. I'm your host. It is not that often that I get on a podcast, interview somebody else, and I am blown away by how much I learn. I learn a lot from a lot of people. I am definitely a student of this game. I'm a student of real estate. I'm a student of raising money. It is not often, though, that I am literally feverishly taking notes as I interview a guest about structure, about raising money, about common equity, about preferred equity, about hotel conversions. This interview that you're about to learn is actually one of my favorites in recent memory because I learned so much. His name is Mike Zlotnick. He's my guest. He's a long-term friend. I've known Mike for probably 8 to 10 years. He's been a debt and equity investor in real estate since 2000. Mike is not an active operator. Mike runs a fund. He runs a company called TF Management Group. And they run four real estate investment funds. An investment fund, a growth and income fund, a growth fund, and then another income fund. And in today's podcast interview, you're going to learn about two specific topics that I was just enamored with while we were doing this interview. First of all, we talked about hotel to multifamily conversions. Mike is an investor in 12 different hotel to multifamily conversions. And we talk about number one, which types of hotels are ripe for conversion. Number two, which types of hotels, the areas that you need to be in to be ripe for conversion. And number three, the economics behind a hotel conversion that have the lowest risk and the fastest turnaround time. So that was the first topic, hotel to multifamily conversion. Phenomenal idea in today's market. Secondly, we had a long-winded discussion that I thought was really beneficial for my business about how to structure preferred equity versus common equity, common equity versus mezzanine debt, and how to strip out the cash flow in an A share and how to strip out the depreciation through a cost seg study in a B share. You have different types of private investors. Private investors, one that want cash flow and private investors that prefer to have the depreciation because they have a big income, right? Or they're a real estate professional. So Mike is a phenomenal trainer on this stuff. Mike's not a guru. He's not interested in running seminars. He has massive funds with massive windfalls of profits for his investors. And we have two really frank, very, very timely discussions here about hotel to multifamily conversions and about the stripping out cash flow and depreciation and giving them to different type of investor groups. I loved this conversation. You're going to love it too. Here we go on Accelerated Real Estate Investor with Mike Zlotnick, the CEO of TF Management Group. Here we go. Welcome to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you're looking to retire early with forever passive income, you're in the right place. This podcast is the go-to destination for real estate investors, both active and passive, and multifamily apartment investors, both new, intermediate, and advanced. Now, sit back, listen, learn, and accelerate your business, your life, and your investing with the Accelerated Investor Podcast. So hey there, guys. Welcome back to Accelerated Real Estate Investor. I'm your host, Josh Cantwell. And I'm so excited to be with all of you guys today. Today, I have a special guest. 
His name is Mike Zlotnick. Mike, what's going on? Big Mike, how are you? Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Josh. Thank you very much for inviting me to the podcast. Absolutely. Mike has been a real estate investor since 2000, a fund manager since 2009, and uh, just had a ton of success, been involved in hundreds and hundreds of amazing deals. Mike, tell us a little bit about what you're up to today. There's a lot of things, obviously, that have changed in the marketplace with COVID. The market seems a little bit weird right now with cap rates going down, values going up, but all these supply chain issues. I'm always curious to see how investors are making hay even in today's market. You're working on some amazing things. What are some things that you're most excited about right now? Sure. So thank you again for having me on the podcast. Uh, So one of the hottest topics, one of the best opportunities we've seen, and we've been investing into that whole uh, strategy quite a lot, is conversion of hotels to multifamily, specifically workforce housing, affordable housing. That's been a big success. Our flagship growth fund, Temple Growth Fund, started investing actually in January 2020, right before COVID hit. And then we've been investing throughout the COVID, picking up phenomenal projects. Obviously, hindsight now, people can look and say, why didn't they buy more when there were distressed pricing after COVID? Well, we did. We did invest a lot. And it's really fascinating. Now we are uh, basically, you know, a year and a half, uh, almost, you know, not quite two years into the COVID the fund now has got three exits this quarter, massive returns, two hotel conversions to multifamily, one value at multifamily. We're getting exits at 140% IRR, 60% plus IRR, 35% plus IRR. And wow. uh, you know these numbers are nothing short of home run. I mean, they're home runs. But again, the strategy itself has paid out because especially dysfunctional hotels or those who have been aged and tired and lost the popularity, they are ripe for conversion. They even they were ripe for conversion pre-COVID. Now they were accelerated, and we're basically seeing the trend. And then the cap rates the hotels trade at versus the cap rates that multifamily trades at is a major cap rate compression and substantial upside through these projects. So that's one of the things we're working on. And then the other thing, just very quickly, we've been structuring number of uh, deals, multifamily value adds, and uh, some obviously hotels and, and other ones where we structure class A, class B equity, preferred versus common. And in today's day and age, where especially late in the year, a lot of real estate professionals looking for extra depreciation. So we've been structuring to give class A investors a little depreciation, but seniority of the cash flow, seniority of the PREF, and then give the class B a lot of depreciation. That whole trade-off of deal structuring has been extremely popular and very high demand. I love it. So let's talk about those. Let's pull back the curtain, peel back the onion on those two topics today. By the way, Mike has just had a tremendous amount of success in lots of different areas as a fund manager. His funds are kind of a fund of funds. They invest. They're not active operators themselves, but they underwrite and evaluate deals and then make significant investments in those deals. So hotel conversions. So people think about hotels pre-COVID, a lot of aged there's different styles of hotels, Mike. There's the ones that more feel like a condo or a townhouse versus the small 250, 300 square foot typical hotel room. Talk about the style of hotel and the age, the checklist, if you will, of the type of hotel that makes the best multifamily conversion. Or if there's two different styles, different styles that make good renovations or conversions, what are some of the benefits of the different styles? Because as you mentioned, when we're leading up to this, 
there's the Holiday Inn or the Ramadas, the one building box. Then there's the other ones that are extended stay, different styles. So help us understand if we found a hotel opportunity, what does that need to look like? Sure. So I'm going to talk about the ideal, the best type of opportunities first. And let's just call them extended stay hotels. And just to be very clear, what I mean is they got to look like apartments. Some people call extended stay, you can just go get yourself, you know, a room for a longer period of time. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to the uh, Marriott residence in by Marriott, right? Those type. But when you have a small living room, uh, a small kitchen, and then a bedroom, right? You, it looks like a mini apartment. So those are very prime, ripe, ideal for conversion. Now, age of the asset, obviously, you don't want a dinosaur. What we've seen is the best projects they've been you know, built, say, in the 80s. They've been renovated in the 2000s. And then they're a little aged, but you could still renovate them and freshen them up and put new stainless steel appliances and just add the fresh paint. So those are generally easy conversions. And they're easier to fill because they look like mini apartments. Uh, that's your ideal candidate. The candidate number two is obviously, depending on the location, uh, you could do the Ramadas with a bunch of rooms that look like 250, 300 square feet. They're small. They work really well if there's access for students to commute to those. So they're real, very uh, good product for student housing years ago. I stayed off campus, literally across the street from the campus when I, many years ago in one of these places. It's a whole lot cheaper than the room on campus and you have better privacy and you have a little bit, a lot of students prefer that. So it'll work for students and it'll work for the area where basically someone who needs a place to crash, they're not really concerned about uh, having 600, 500, 700 square feet. So as long as you could test the market, and get enough data, the demand for these sort of studios is high, they're worth considering for conversion. So accessibility to the location, 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 real estate. The other thing I want to say, we're not big on high-rise hotels. So I'm just going to make this comment. Some people will say, well, we'll convert a big six-story building, 10-story building. That is a possibility. It may work in certain coastal markets where the space is extremely you know, dense, the population is dense. We haven't done too many of them. They're possible to be interesting and attractive, but a really garden-style hotels, two stories is what we're talking about here. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. Now, I imagine just really high level, the opportunity is because you have a distressed asset like a hotel that got pounded in COVID, low occupancy. You have a seller that's motivated to sell for various reasons, primarily because they're getting killed on cash flow because of COVID. And you're converting that very distressed asset into an asset class, multifamily apartments that has significant cap rate of compression, lots of demand, competitive offers, very low interest rates, long-term non-recourse financing. So... 
you're taking something at one end of the spectrum that's very distressed to something that's super in demand. I imagine that's why the play exists. How long do you think this opportunity lasts for? And why are you seeing such massive returns? Is it because of what I just described? And there's the demand there, but how long do you think this opportunity will last based on today's economics? So Josh, you picked up on some great, great points. That's exactly correct. All the factors you mentioned are accurate. I want to add a few other really interesting benefits of these projects. So there's three ways to enter multifamily space. There's a ground-up construction, right? There's a value-add multifamily, some kind of aged property that can be renovated externally and internally. And three, you can convert from existing hotel to multifamily. There are some conversions office to multifamily. We actually have one project in that uh, space too, but it's a much harder lift from an office to a multifamily. But three primary methodologies, right? The lowest risk today is to convert. As crazy as it sounds. Why? Because you get to a finished, stabilized product a whole lot faster. Mm-hmm. Take a ground up. That thing is typically takes two years, maybe two and a half now with the construction risk and a lot of uncertainty there, especially on the heavy lifts, a lot of expenditures. You are running into a three-year project. I mean, people people budget them for two, but they're really hard with, with all the risk of delays. You didn't get the windows, you're done. <laughs> you will yeah. be sitting and waiting. Right. Right. So that time to, from the time you actually start the work to the time you finish, you can do it 12 to 18 months. Uh, obviously, there's still some risk and, and dependency on construction materials and labor, but it's a lower risk because you're doing less work, especially in the extended stay hotels. So compare that to the ground up. Now you compare that to the value adds. So value adds in some ways, they can feel safer because you get some cash flow from day one. One of the drawbacks, you really can only renovate in turn. Just for comparison's sake, you can get to the same results just faster in a hotel versus an existing, uh, because you can, you know, without forcing people out, you have to wait until they leave. Right, sure. So, so that whole methodology gives an edge to the kind of these conversions. So you could basically execute a full uh, life cycle from, especially if you prepare for conversion in advance, you make sure you get the entitlements, the permissions, everything done before you actually close on a beast. Or you close on a beast, and then you have everything else is almost ready. Just You just have to plan for it. Then you can, you can execute on that strategy faster. You get to a stabilization point. You get to refi point faster. You get to a sale, sale point for faster. And obviously, cap rate compression and all everything else you mentioned. So especially now, given what's going on with construction materials and labor risk, the cost of construction, you, you, you're basically executing on a lighter lift, less work. And so you're taking a little bit less risk versus, you know, full ground up. So theoretically, the other thing that happens, the full ground up, uh, most people want to build something a little bit nicer, spend the same amount. of. So you're going to go after the A class. There's a lot more construction in the A class. Now you're doing this, so let's just call it between C and B. And um, the affordability is, is where the, there's a lot more demand. So that, that's kind of the way to think about it. Makes sense. You know, even just comparing a real case study, I just did a presentation yesterday at two o'clock. You know, we had about 150 investors on the line. We had 6.6 million of commitments for this project. It's 220 units. We're closing on it December 29th. It's fully under contract. We're almost done with due diligence. I raised the money early because of the holidays. So I wanted to get the ball rolling. We need $4.2 million, but we're going to convert, not convert, but value add turn all 220 units. I penciled that out 
that that construction would take us about two and a half years simply because of the current occupancy, right? And then time to stabilize, keep the T3, the T6 really level, and then go into refi at roughly 42 months. So three and a half years. And we expect with every one of those deals that we do for the occupancy right now, which is at 97%, it's a very C-class managed building in a very B-plus area. So the rents are already 22 to 25% below current market value with the opportunity to do a heavy value add and add in white shaker cabinets, LVP flooring, even granite or butcher block, redo the bathrooms, five and a half inch trim, you know, spending about 7,500 to 9,000 a unit. That process is going to take us about three years to get to stabilization and then six months to refi, to season the financials, get the refi done versus like what you said, if you take an existing residences by Marriott, and you already know it's a hotel, it's 100% vacant, right? When you're taking it over, because people are just nightly stay or long-term extended stay, but they're essentially getting out. It's so much easier. There's no cash flow for the first year, like new construction. So you don't have any cash flow that presents a little bit of risk. But the building, the guts of the building is 80% done. You're essentially doing unit turns and some modifications to the plumbing or electrical. But I imagine, I've never done one, but I can imagine what you just said is totally true, that you could spin that whole thing in 12 to 18 months versus three and a half years. And a lot of those hotels are already built in an area where they've done all the due diligence as far as job growth, traffic, cars going past the hotel, right? It's built into an area where you have other commercial stuff right around it. And you're adding in a new multifamily opportunity for people to live right where there's already other existing amenities, restaurants, bars, shopping, all these different kinds of things. Like every residence I see, residence by the Marriott is right in a very busy part of town, usually very suburban, that people would want to live in right away. Makes total sense. I love it. So how did you or your operator partners find these hotel conversion opportunities? Sure, just I'll just add you one use case. We just exited. So I'll give you one live use case for yes, like, September 2000 acquisition. A residence in by Marriott, distressed sale, 88 doors in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, full life cycle with completion of uh, all the construction, full stabilization, and a sale at a price well above pro forma. It's basically 13 months turn, 13 months turn. Wow. The all-in cost was about $6 million between acquisition and construction, light on construction. And the pro forma exit, well, we were at, the deal was underwritten at $8 million. And the deal had leverage. So there was a $1.5 million equity. It's a small deal, just to give you, give you an example. Sure. $1.5 million equity, four and a half, but $4.4 million debt. Just in your normal leverage, right? And um, it just exited for 10 and a quarter. And the, wow. the IRR, as I said, we, we, we put in a million, we got 2.6 out. So the, you know, oh. I, I regret not taking the entire one and a half million. We just were trying to diversify. It was only our third deal. We're trying to be very careful, still kind of post-COVID world. That's a live example, full life cycle. How did we, the deal uh, got found? Well, again, we we been investing with a institutional operator in the space. They have acquired this and another property in a sale from uh, essentially in a bank that was foreclosing on both of these uh, assets. So it was a banking relationship. They just very distressed seller. The seller was collapsing. So the bank had to execute full foreclosure. And then it started pre-COVID, obviously. 
but they completed the foreclosures throughout the COVID. And then they basically agreed to sell both of the hotels to the operator in a single transaction, but upon completion of the foreclosure, because the operator didn't want to be dealing with the that whole process. So that's one source, banking relationship, if you can get some kind of distressed sales. Other than that, obviously, you have to look for what's on the market being sold as a hotel and as a dysfunctional hotel. What's really interesting, a number of agents and brokers have been now, they've caught up on this idea. So they start marking these, these hotels that are lagging and performing as a great target for the conversion. And they're inflating the price as a result because they've seen successes. Nonetheless, you can still, if you go look at the financials of the hotel, you're going to give them an offer based on pretty crappy financials. And you have to find the targets that haven't really recovered. Some hotels are recovered and doing great, and those are not going to be good targets. you got to find distress. And by the way, that asset in Winston-Salem had exactly what you said, phenomenal natural fit. It was a mile away from Wake Forest University. So they had basically proximity to a, a great location. And uh, could be student housing, but could be just long-term permanent housing. So location, obviously, is critical. Not off the highway, some kind of, that's not what you want. You want a hotel that's naturally in the residential neighborhood fits in. And that effectively makes it a great target. So sourcing of the deals is, there's no trivial sourcing of the deals, but there are some natural conversions. I'll give you an example. I don't know if you know Kissimmee, Florida by Disney World. Sure. There's a lot of it happening there right now. And I looked at one of the assets and there were multiple assets. Literally, you can like drive 10 minutes down the road and you could see a, just a few good, good targets. Now, we looked at a, a few of these projects. That you got to find enough motivation with the seller. One project I looked at, it was a garden styles for building 200 doors. One was boarded up. Uh, kind of, they were not using one of the buildings for some reason. So that's a motivated situation. But the other three were fully, fully rented because Disney reopened, everything reopened. There was a massive inflow of people. So they were not distressed enough to sell at the price where we needed. This was an example of uh, potential conversion. Mm, those are great examples. Thank you for that. Appreciate that a lot. Love that opportunity. And there's you guys some very usable, usable tips and tricks in that little 20-minute, 15-minute conversation there between Mike and I. Mike, let's completely pivot to this other concept that you were talking about, the difference in the way that you're structuring deals between Class A, Class B, preferred, common, equity. We have not done this type of structuring yet. So why don't you just start right from step one and step us through some use cases, some different deals that you guys are doing. Because there's different types of passive investors, right? There's passive investors that want more income and that's valuable to them, preferred return, cash flow. There's other types of investors that have made a lot of money, that have a big income, that want the depreciation and the financial tax write-offs. You structured deals to actually separate those two. Walk us through this use case and some of the things that you're doing in that space. Sure. Uh, so I'll give you a few examples of the deals we've actually structured or influenced the sponsor to structure of consulted to structure. There's a few different flavors. So I'll give you one example. Last year, it was actually in the middle of COVID. It was a large deal. It was almost a thousand doors in Indy. The deal was structured where there was, a, you know, just off the top of my head, a $96 million acquisition. There was about $20 million worth of value at construction on multifamily with some reserves. So all in about $123 million. There was a first lien mortgage of about 86 million. Uh, some was a rehab holdback for the construction. And then to make a long story short, there were about $37.3 million of total equity. 
So it could have been one class of, of equity and that's it, no problem at all. But the way it got structured is at that level, this big size, the sponsor was able to bring a, an institutional preferred equity. So the institutional preferred equity was 22 million. And the equity was essentially very smartly structured. There wasn't like a squeezing. It was a, you know, first year, you got to pay them seven. Second year, you got to pay them eight. Third year, you got to pay them nine. So it's kind of stepping up. It wasn't squeezing the cash flow. But what happened was that approximately of the 37 million, about 60% of that money came in as preferred equity. And that preferred equity investor just needed the yield. They also had the piece of the common equity on the back end, 20% upside. And the, the preferred equity, if I remember correctly, was underwritten for like 12 and a half. So whatever wasn't paid was compounded. So first year, 12 and a half, but they weren't getting 12, 12 and a half, they were getting seven. So the remaining just compounds and then it accumulates. Mm-hmm. So that kind of a setup didn't drain the cash flow to a crazy level, which was really important in that project. But imagine of your 37 and a half million, you don't give any depreciation to 22 million. So all you have left is 15.3 million. Or the 15.3 was what's really amazing. Seller carried five and they actually didn't want any depreciation. It was just another conversation. Mm-hmm. So to make long story short, you run a cost seg on a $96 million asset. What do you get in depreciation first year? With a bonus depreciation, you get oh. $30 million, right? Mm-hmm. Just off the top of my head. It varies, but $30 million bonus depreciation. So the, the $30 million applies to a slug of just a little over $10 million. So the depreciation to that common equity was three to one. Now there were some complexities and you know you could discount, but the concept is the same. If you do this, you can basically create depreciation. I would say in the range between two to one to three to one range by essentially bringing in preferred equity that doesn't get any. You could do preferred equity. You could do mezzanine debt. You could do class A, class B equity. So the class A, class B structure is a little different. So this I gave you an example of preferred versus common. So preferred, of course, preferred is safer. They're getting seniority on the PREF, they're getting seniority on the return of capital, and they mm-hmm. get a piece of the common. So you made it attractive enough for the PREF to come in to feel happy. And then your common equity got such a strong benefit in depreciation that they don't need much cash flow. So right now the common is not distributing anything, but it doesn't matter. The depreciation benefit is there. And then the common equity in this case is capturing 80% of the upside. The project is going super successful. So the IRR for common is through the roof. That's, mm-hmm. that's an example, preferred versus common. Give you another example. A few other deals we've done this year, you take a class A, class B approach. So think of this, it's a little different. So you, you don't have preferred common. You have class A common, you have class B common. And the way you do this is you give class A common seniority of the PREF. So let's just say the terms are very similar. You have eight PREF here, you have eight PREF here, right? So first you pay eight, you pay eight. If the cash flow is such that uh, there's not enough to pay, let's use an example, eight PREF, okay? And your average project cash flow is only six. So the eight get the eight, right? The eight get the eight, and then the Bs, they get only four. But that's okay. The Bs get the extra depreciation, and you shift the depreciation. So what happens is the A's get seniority of the PREF, and then they get seniority of return of capital. That's safer. A's are inherently safer, and they get the cash ahead of the B's. But they, they forgo the depreciation. The few deals we've structured, we've, gi- we've given A's 10% of total depreciation, and the B's 90%, right? What happens? Why do they need 10? Well, they need 10 because they need to cover the cash flow. 
right? They want some coverage so that there's some some tax shield, but they don't need any more than 10%. 10% does the trick. And then the Bs get 90%, so they wind up with an outsized depreciation. And these type of deals, typically, Bs get maybe around 1.7x for every dollar invested with the, with the cost sag bonus depreciation. If it's structured properly, also the mix of A's and B's matter, right? The more B's you have, the less benefit they get. If the more A's you have relative to B's, the more dollars of depreciation per dollar invested you get for B's. So it's a balancing, yeah, it's a structuring issue. But if you do it at about 50-50, right, that ratio 1.7 kicks in. So your, your, your B's become more attractive to real estate professionals. They get more attractive for anyone who needs depreciation. The A's get seniority of the cash flow and they get seniority of return of capital that's safer. Now, your sales job is no different. You're not selling the same thing, same benefits to the same group of people. You're selling very different benefits to different people, and you have to focus on that sales. But the, the recent deal we just structured, it's, it actually hasn't closed yet, but it's closing late December too. It's about 9 million raise, four and a half each. Uh, the moment we structured bees in four and a half million, funny, the way we structured four and a half, we took all the bees. We have investors for all the bees. I didn't, we didn't need any A's. They wanted the B's, the depreciation, real estate professionals. The A's got so much better with the safety that A's flew, flew off the shelf. So if yeah. you do it the right way, if you have enough B's, then the A's are attractive. Both need. If you have a lot of B's and no A's, that's a problem because you, you can't make it work. So you just got to have enough parties. The A's are really good for IRA investors, right? They're, they're good for anyone who just doesn't need a lot of depreciation. IRAs right. couldn't care less. It's so crazy that we're going forward. We're going to structure our next fund, Temple Growth Fund 2, which we're launching early next year with two classes of units, exactly that structure. The A's will get no depreciation, literally very, very little, maybe 1%, and the B's will get 99 to 100%, even in a growth fund. Why? Because IRA investors, they still want the growth. They don't need the cash flow, right? Right, right. They want safety and they want seniority, right? And for, it's perfect for IRAs. I spoke with custodians. They love the idea. And then the Bs, they get extra depreciation. And all the real estate professionals, all the guys and girls who need depreciation go in the Bs. In my newest real estate investing book, The Flip System, you'll learn the proven secrets and strategies that I've used to be a successful real estate investor. You'll also hear the story of my journey from quitting my job to doing over 2,000 units of apartments. The Flip System is now available for a limited time, and you can grab your free copy at getflipsystem.com slash podcast. You'll learn the same proven principles and secrets and investing strategies that I used to quit my job and pursue a life of financial freedom. In this book, I'm sharing exactly how I was able to personally close over 750 profitable real estate deals, make over 400 private lender loans, raise over $30 million, and acquire over 2,000 units of cash flowing apartments. Get my newest book now for free at getflipsystem.com slash podcast. That's getflipsystem.com slash podcast. Wow, I love it. I've never thought of it that way, Mike. I've thought of it, but never executed on it and never talked about it to that level. So I learned a lot through this interview. I want to thank you for that. Mike, listen, two great discussion points here. The conversions of hotels to multifamily, as well as the splits of different types of share classes. Fantastic stuff. We could go on and on forever, especially with your level of knowledge. 
But instead of that, why don't we have just some of our audience reach out to you directly, see where they fit in your buckets here and learn from you or invest with you. So if they want to do that, where can they reach out to you? This is my favorite part because this is really cool, right? So I'm Big Mike. I go as a Big Mike. People know me as a Big Mike. So and I'm a fund manager. BigMikeFund.com. That's the easiest way to reach me. If you remember that, you can find me. BigMikeFund.com. And if you didn't hear me, if you forgot the D at the end, like you just didn't spell it right. There's no D at the end. BigMikeFund.com. I promise it's not a kinky site. (laughs) BigMikeFund.com. It's not a kinky site. Love it, Mike. Thank you so much for joining us today on Accelerated Real Estate Investor. Thank you, Josh. Well, there you have it, guys. Wow, I was woo, blown away by some of the stuff I learned from Mike. I have a ton of notes. I'm looking at them as I record this exit interview for Mike. I hope you love that interview. I did. If I was you listening to it, I would give that thing a five-star rating and a five-star review and leave some comments. If you do, You know how grateful I will be. We have hundreds and hundreds of comments, reviews on this podcast. We could always use more to spread the word. And if you love this interview, share it. Share it on social media. Share it all over social media on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, so we can build our group, build our audience of investors. And hopefully one day, we'll be partnering on a deal together. Hope you enjoyed the interview today. We'll see you next time. Take care. Hey, Josh here, and do you want to win a free Accelerated Investor t-shirt? All you have to do is give Accelerated Investor, our podcast, Accelerated Investor, a rating and a review on iTunes, okay? Do that now. Then send us a screenshot on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. What we're going to do then is every week we're going to pick our favorite rating and review, and we're going to send that person a free t-shirt And maybe, again, some other cool, fun stuff as well from Accelerated Investors. So, again, don't forget to take a screenshot. Leave a rating, review, take a screenshot, send it to us so we know exactly who you are. And then once a week, every week on the podcast, we will announce a new winner. Don't forget to take a screenshot and send it to us so we know exactly who you are. We'll announce a new winner every week. You were just listening to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, help us build the AI community by leaving a review and five-star rating on our iTunes podcast channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. To see passive investing opportunities, visit freelandventures.com slash passive. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of with multifamily apartments, apply for one-on-one coaching with Josh at www.joshcantwellcoaching.com.